Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. April is National Poetry Month, and to celebrate, we've brought poet, playwright, and professor Nate Marshall to The Stacks. Nate is the poet behind the poetry collection, Wild Hundreds, and the critically acclaimed Finna. Today, we talk about poetry's cool factor, the idea of a first poet, and the issues with recommending a book to the current president of the United States. Nate also gives us a preview for our April book club pick, which is Doppelgang Banger by Courtney Lamar Charleston, which we will be discussing on the show on Wednesday, April 27th with Nate Marshall. Get excited, people. If you want more of me and The Stacks, head to patreon.com slash The Stacks and join The Stacks Pack. You get perks like bonus episodes, our incredible Discord community, our monthly virtual book club, and more. Or if you like the show and don't care at all about any of the aforementioned perks, you can still join The Stacks Pack and show your love. Because the truth is, without supporters like The Stacks Pack, there is no podcast. So if you like the show, if you want to show it some love, go to patreon.com slash The Stacks. I want to give a quick thank you to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Janice Mindel, Rachel Tan, Elise Shattuck, Megan Stilley, Rebecca Mongrain, Betsy Good, Ellen Walodi, Nathan Bluestein, Sam Hightower, and Rebecca Perlmutter. Thank you all so, so much. And thank you to everyone in the Stacks Pack. Okay, let's kick off Poetry Month right. We've got my conversation with me, Marshall. All right, everybody. I'm very excited. It is April. It is Poetry Month. It's the only, you know, month that we celebrate around here. We don't do Black History Month. We don't do Asian American Pacific Islander Month. We don't do Snacks Are My Favorite Month. But we do, for some reason, do Poetry Month around here. And I am so excited because (laughs) I am joined by one of the only poets whose work I feel like I understand and like can dig into. I'm joined by the Nate Marshall. Nate, welcome to the Stacks. Oh, well, thank you so much. Wow, that's that's like high praise. Dang. It is. I am famous for being like, I don't understand poems. What is that idea? <laughs> but I read Finna like last year and I was like, wow, I get this. And then I just read Wild Hundreds and I was like, I get this too. And so now I'm like, I speak Nate's language. Like, I feel like we're on the same page. But before we get into your poetry, will you sort of just give people like a little, tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, Yeah. 
So I'm Nate Marshall. I'm, I realize I, I, I'm gesturing wildly and no one can see that. So <laughs> no one just, can see it but me. <laughs> hopefully in my voice, you hear my enthusiasm. But um, yeah, I'm Nate Marshall. Um, I write poems mostly and other things. And uh, I'm from Chicago, from the South Side of Chicago, which is, I guess, the thing everyone who knows me sort of knows about me. And um, I teach out here at Colorado College. So I'm like amongst the mountains. Wait, do you live in Colorado? I do. I live in Colorado, which is kind of funny given like, you know, I mean, I don't know if we're going to like how much we're going to dig in. But yeah, that's, that's it's kind of a funny quirk that I now live in Colorado. Where in Colorado? I'm in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's so, on the eastern side of the state? It's so it or is like central. It's on the front range. Like the front range is basically everything. It's the stuff like right to the east of the Rockies. Okay. And Colorado Springs is about a, about an hour south of Denver. And Colorado Springs is like a very conservative place, right? Yeah, it's a weird town. So it, it's a lot of military. So like there's okay. a bunch of bases and the Air Force Academy is here. It's also like a sort of hub for the evangelical movement. So like focus right. on the family and young life and a number of organizations are kind of centered here. So it's hmm. like kind of a weird place because like you have that and then you have like, you know, people that like, like nature and right. smoking legal weed. And, and also <laughs> the Olympic Committee is also here. So then oh, you're also just, it's like, oh, randomly there's like a world-class athlete just like running very quickly by me. So that's so weird. It's a very strange collection of humans. <laughs> I spent a little time in Colorado uh, in 2008. I worked on the Obama campaign, like at a field office all the way on the Western slope, but all the way in the bottom in this town called Cortez, which is in Montezuma County. If you look at the map, it's the furthest Southwest of all of Colorado. Oh, and okay. it is like the, it's like one of the reddest counties in the state. It was the craziest experience. And I have very like fond memories from the time, but I did not realize, you know, people talk about like, oh, you know, there's red states and blue states, but every state's actually really purple. I yeah. did not realize exactly what that meant because I thought I think of Colorado as like being a purple state. But like I didn't realize that it's like you have a bright fucking red county in one place and then you have yeah. Denver and like the county next door is where Durango was or where Durango yeah. is. And that's like a super blue county. And like the first night we were there, there was a Michael Fronty concert. Like it was just <laughs> such like a crazy <laughs> crazy experience so I have a lot of like weird feelings about Colorado generally yeah during 2016 and and that the sort of lead up to that election I was like touring two different books and so I was sort of going all over and especially Mm. to these sort of like far-flung college campuses around the midwest and around the east or whatever and so we're you know we're driving through all these small places and so yeah I, I just have a lot of thoughts about the way that geography shapes our politics so in, in ways that we don't always think about it, especially when we're kind of like for those of us who, who might be uh, focused in these like particular urban centers. Right. Mm-hmm. You could write a poetry collection on this and in I fact, would understand it and it would be my dream. There <laughs> <is>. <laughs> OK, I want to know how someone who writes poetry from the south side of Chicago discovers that they have this talent and who tells you that you're good at it? How do you know? Like, because the reason I'm asking this question is because I had like a fake boyfriend in high school who always wrote poems. 
And like, yeah. I liked him. So I thought they were good. But like, they're not good. Like, I still have some. So sure. how do you know that you're like actually good at poetry versus like a girl has a crush on you and like tells you that you're good at right. poetry? Well, first off, shout out that fake boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's actually out here. But um, yeah, I don't know. So the, the very first poem I ever wrote in life, I was in third grade. I liked a girl. Okay. Um, I wrote this poem that I was very proud of. It I think was like an, it was like an extended metaphor, an allegory, okay, about like liking her and sort of like getting like working up the courage to do something about it. And funny enough, given where I live now, it was called the mountain, oh. and I never gave it to her because I was going to. I had it in my book bag, and my mom was like looking through my stuff or something and <gasps> found it. No, and. It was like folded up. She was like, what is this? Because she was like, I don't know what she thought it was. It was like, I don't know my the permission slip to right. join the Gangster Disciples. I don't know what she thought it was. <laughs> but um, so she was like kind of mad. And then she like opened it and read it. And then she was like, then she kind of just laughed at me. It was like, oh, this oh. is very sweet. And I was like, well, cool. I, I'm never going to do this ever again. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, that was like early. But a couple years later, I started writing and really it was it was a few things it was that we had to do a project in school this thing where we had to like write a book uh-huh. and it was a contest or whatever and also was i sort of got interested in hip hop right and so why those two things well the book thing i wanted to write a book and i knew enough about poetry to understand it didn't have to take up the whole page and so it was like okay. it was like obvious a way to choice sort of slap. obvious choice yeah, i'm like perfect. what if i just write these poems what if it's um, a bunch of haikus? Nailed right, it. Right. <laughs> Killed it. Right. And so I did that. And then, um, yeah, and, I, and then I was like interested in rhyming. And so that gave me a different sort of focus on language. Right. And so, you know, so I wrote this little book. It went into the contest and it won the contest at the level at the school. And oh. my teacher, I had a teacher, um, Mrs. Cap. Shout out Mrs. Cap. She was like my middle school English teacher, my very home teacher. But she was like, yo, we're doing this thing, this poetry slam thing. You should be a part of it. And at the time, I think the poetry slam had a cutoff. Of, you had to be 13. And I was in the seventh grade, but I was like a little older. And so it was me and a bunch of eighth graders who she okay. had sort of pinpointed for this thing. And I was like, I, this sounds terrible. I don't want to. First off, I don't want to say this stuff in public. Why would I do that? Second <laughs> off, none of these people are like my friends. They're eighth graders. We have right. nothing in common. Um <laughs> <laughs> and three no and so i just took the i took the permission slip home and just never asked like i just was like i'm gonna just let this deadline pass and that would right. be the end of it and mrs cap was like yo look i know you, i know you must have forgot so i signed you up anyway and uh if you don't come like you know you're not gonna like your grade and so i was, Ooh, I, was wow. forced, I was forced into it but um, but it was cool because when we did the first the first event at the Youth Slam in Chicago at the time was this thing called like Crossing the Street, and I walked in the Crossing the Street and it really kind of blew my mind. Right, it was all these kids who were like really interesting and cool and they dressed cool and like they seemed really smart. It was the first time I ever saw I think like people like freestyle rapping. Mm. Um, it was just like really this beautiful space, and I was like, yo, I want to do this i'm gonna like be in this kind of space and so yeah like from that point on i kind of 
I think that was when I began to really self-identify as a writer and then okay. really began to take it seriously. And a lot of it was really, it was like that this community was cool to me and I wanted to be a part of it. And that was sort of the way to do it. And also, like I should say, most of the students that were in the poetry slam were high school kids. They were like probably 16, okay. 17, 18. And so when you're 13, that seems so old to you. Right. That I was like, one, I'd like look up to these people, but also right, right, right. three years from now is so long. It's so unimaginably long that if I do this from now until then, then maybe I'll be okay at it. Right. Um, but yeah, it was really, it was really just like Mrs. Cap and then like wanting to be a cool kid. Okay. I don't want to mean to ask you this question, but I have to ask because I have a follow-up. Yeah. How, how old are you or what year were you born? 1989. Uh, okay. I'm 32. Okay. So you're a little younger than me. I don't, I, I'm assuming that you were probably up on this, but do you remember like in the late 90s early 2000s like that poetry was like very cool there was like deaf poetry jam like, yes, on absolutely. tv absolutely. and like i did they have a thing called youth speaks where you were okay so so the the organization in chicago is called young chicago authors okay and and i worked for them so like okay. I, I know a lot about this kind of world but um youth speaks is sort of the national organization okay and they're, they're based in the bay that's where um, I'm from. And so okay. all of my friends in high school, not all my yeah. friends, but like I had a group of friends who we called very creatively the poets. Um, they didn't go to my high school, but they're like, they're a bunch of them uh, were in Youth Speaks. But actually, my sister-in-law, I met her in high school. She's married my brother and she was like in Youth Speaks and she was a poet. Um, yeah. And they were very cool in high yeah. school. Like it That's was like a I'm cool saying. thing to be a poet. And then there was the whole deaf poetry jam. Like I got to go to a taping because one of my friends from high school was like on. I went to Kanye West's second time there when he brought all the suitcases. And well, I never talk about this, but and I will because I because we're here. But he hit on me after the show and I didn't know who he was. Wait, this was in 2000, Yeezy? fall 2004. Yeezy? And he was like, hey, da da da. And I was like, hi, excuse me. Like, I don't like to be spoken to by strangers. And then my friend was like, are you? actually insane and i was like i don't know but he was giving me weird vibes i didn't like it i'm a freshman in college um i but, mean and first yeah, off so it was cool good call but second <laughs> off wow right do you know do you know bo sia yeah absolutely the, so, so he yeah. it was his he was one of the people that night kanye and then my friend rafa who is since been in that train spotting movie oh, or whatever rafa, Ra rafa Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's the homie. Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we yeah. have some, yeah. So I know the, that Berkeley crew of poets. And so okay. like, but at that time, I feel like that was like really cool. And it's yeah. like not cool in the culture, the way that it was. Like, I don't feel like people are like, oh, let's like go to a poetry slam or like, oh, this poet is like, yeah. I don't know. Well, Do you feel well, like it is still? I mean, you're I in that world. Yeah. I don't know what the youth are up to. I realize okay. this now because I'm like, I teach college students and in mm -hmm. my head, I'm like fairly young. And and also yeah. like in the context of being a college professor, I'm quite, I'm still quite young, even though I've been doing it for a while. And, but yeah, like to my students, like. You're washed. I'm a little washed. Yeah. yeah I'm like approaching sure. washedness and I'm, <laughs> it's, it's deeply troubling to me. Deep, I'm older deeply, than you. I'm deeply like, washed. Don't worry. Well, you it's know, fine. Such is life. Yeah. But, so I, yeah, I have, wow, you just, you gave me like a bunch of things. I have a, a bunch of stories. Okay. <laughs> I have a, 
a Bosia story. Okay. Uh, or I have just a deaf poetry story. Okay. Yeah. Also, I just I like love Rafa and, and David. They're they're great. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, so, I didn't know I David, but David went to Brown with my brother, and they were both mixed mixed guys at Brown from the Bay. So apparently, they got confused a lot. And my brother was like, "I'm not that guy." And <laughs> oh, uh, I um I like knew David. I knew David less well than, than Rafael because because Rafael worked at. The University of Wisconsin for some time. Mm, okay. For this this program called First Wave that I very nearly went to for undergrad. But um the funny story about David is Oh, for people was, who don't know, David Diggs is yeah. the guy from Hamilton. Right. You know, the, the Thomas Jefferson Hamilton, or whatever. Yeah, Jefferson yeah. or Lafayette. And yeah. uh, he he wrote this co-wrote this thing and co-starred in it, uh Blind Spotting, right? Which Blind Spotting. What did I call it? Train spotting. Right. It's a different movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not my movie, it's fine. It's but fine. um <laughs> But he um, he was in this other movie. I think it was called Wonder. Okay. And so they did an early screening of it in Chicago some years back when it came out. And uh, they asked me to like, interview him. And I'm like, okay, cool. And at, the, at that time, my nephew was, uh, my nephew had like gotten, I hope this doesn't embarrass him. Sorry, man. Um, <laughs> he had gotten suspended from school for like, you know, having a little, little run in, a little, you know, a little tussle. Smith, Chris Rock yeah. moment situation. <laughs> And um, so he, uh, but it turned, he was reading the book Wonder at the time and it happened okay. to be, he happened to get suspended right at this exact moment. And so it was kind of cool because I like, for the time he was, he was spending like maybe two days and I, so I like, he stayed with me and I like took him to work and like mm. made him do his homework. And then we like, that was like one of the things we went to and we like hung out with David. And I was like, oh, Sounds like real punishment. Yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm very, I'm like not a good uncle in that respect but i did like make that's like Palestine. not what uncles are for uncles are not for punishing people yeah. i don't think that's what I parents him, are for i think i made him like wake up at 5 a.m and like do push-ups and then okay, okay. help me organize so books so that physical was abuse of, okay fair <clears throat> i don't know I, I was in a fraternity so this is that makes sense to me I'm like, okay that works that works okay wait so here's what i want to know this is like mm-hmm. my big question you are a very cool guy you're young ish but just not compared to your students but you're young in the scheme of the world and you're a poet and you know like I said poetry used to be sort of like a cool like mainstream thing for like it had like its moment but how do you feel about the idea that like so many people myself included are so intimidated by the art that you make or like the work that you do first off thank you for calling me a cool young person I (laughs) am so deeply moved um, I think, yeah, poetry definitely had a moment like in that kind of late nineties to, you know, to the 2000s, through the 2000s kind of moment. Um, it, in some places it happened, you know, with slightly different timelines, but broadly and in certain, certain ways we're out of that moment, but in a lot of ways, I think we're actually still in it, right? Because you still are seeing the fruits of that time really continue to make waves in the culture, even if, if you're not actively thinking about it as that. So I think right. about like what Rafa and David are getting up to in Hollywood. Um, the head writer of Ironheart is, uh, for, for Marvel, is Chinaka Hodge, who like came up in the Bay and was oh, like a part I know of that Chinaka. scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only one. And then like, um, you know, I mean, Amanda Gorman like comes out of, of course. some of that same new programming, right? Um, you know, Chance the Rapper and Vic Minson and Saba and a lot of those folk no name who came out of Chicago like 
you know, they were coming, we were coming up in the same youth communities and, and running around some of the same organizations and institutions. And so, yeah, even, even if like the specific art form, it doesn't feel as sort of trendy. I, I still mm-hmm. think like it very much has a kind of presence that, that continues to make waves. But um, yeah, to the, so the second part of the question of like, what does it mean? Or how do I feel that like people are like intimidated by it? I think it makes sense. I think we teach poems and kind of, I think most of us are introduced to poems as poems in school. And in that school setting, we're often exposed to them in ways that are really, I don't want to say bad or negative. I don't want to bad talk teachers, but I think that the way that we frame poems is often really unhelpful, mm-hmm. right? We kind of frame poems as like non-mathematical word problems mm. where there is a single answer and, you know, and they're kind of like a part of like how we build reading comprehension right, in, right, right, in, right. in the kind of P12 space. And I just think that that's like a bad idea, right? Because like, for me, like, a poem is all about wonder, right? It's all about like, whether like the thing that's being described in the poem opens up s- some level of wonder for me, or I wonder what is going on or, or what have you, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, that is maybe a little bit fluffy and maybe this is why I don't, you know, I'm like not teaching middle school and I'm, you know, instead <laughs> doing, doing the college thing where I can pontificate like that. And it's right, right, right. acceptable. But, um, but I think if we started from a place of wonder and started from a place of like, look, if you don't know what's going on here, that's okay. What do you notice? Then poems would feel a lot more approachable to people. But I will say, I think that we're constantly surrounded by poetry. We don't always recognize it as poetry. Right. right. You know, like a lot of our music, especially now, is in part because hip hop is so dominant and so influential, even the other kinds of music. A lot of our music is deeply poetic. Right. Just at the level of language, it's very text. Right. You know, you see a lot of uh, a lot of television and film now engaging kind of poetic device. Right. I think also like the way and this is this is maybe tailed off slightly from where it was a few years ago, but even like the way that poems get pushed around the internet, whether that be via video or just the sharing of like a link to a, to a literary genre or whatever. Like I, I think it's a really great moment for poetry. I think people are reading poetry a lot more than they have been in, in many past generations. But I think that we don't always recognize it as such. And we also maybe don't, even though we, we might be reading a lot of poetry or experiencing a lot of poetry, we're not reading books of poems. And so we don't think about the poetry at the level of the book in the same way that we think about like a novel or we think about a short story because like there really isn't with a novel there's not another way to experience the novel there is the book or the audio book right. or whatever but like it is that's the, the book is just the unit of meaning that's not true of poems i can break it down a million different ways and so it seeps in but you don't necessarily know right i feel like the way when I think of poems, the th- first thing I think of is like a white man in nature. <laughs> and I have zero idea, like exactly what that specific reference is for me, because I don't know yeah. any poems that I can think of, like off the top of my head about like a white man in nature. But like, that's what it evokes in me. Like, sure. it, I never think of like, oh, a poem. I don't think of like a rap song that I love or even like a singing song that I love. And I don't think sure. of Bosia, even though I have had much more experience with that kind of poetry, that's just like not what I think of. Do yeah. you feel like 
that is common for the young people that you interact with? I know that you were like involved with Chicago's uh, curriculum. And like, I know that you, I know you're in college now, but like you've had a lot of experience with young people. Like, is that how people are, is that what their entry point is? Like something that's white and distant and not necessarily like what the possibility within poetry can be? Yeah, I think it depends on the student, right? So I think students who who are really excited about poems, I think often, like I have this phrase that I'll use sometimes with my friends where we, we talk about kind of like first poets, like who are your first poets? So like Bosi is one of my first poets, right? He's okay. one of the first people that I saw that I really was like, oh, this is cool. Like I'm interested in what he's up to. And I think that if, if a young person, if I encounter a young person, they're sort of excited about poetry, they're on the fire for it then often they've had some good first poets. And I think there's mm. a lot of people contemporarily who are, who are that. So I think of like Sarah Kay and Phil Kay. I, I think of um, Eve Ewing, my homie. I think of um, Warsan Shire. I think of um, Ruby Cow, right? All these sorts of folks, right? And, and many others, right? But I, yeah, I think if you've had like a kind of more negative or maybe more alienating first poet experience, then it's some of the people you're talking about, right? And and that could be like, you know, someone like William Wordsworth, who's like doing this pastoral situation or uh, Bobby Ice, a.k.a. Robert Frost, um, you know, who's like, you know, snowy woods and, you know, right. I my took nightmare. the road of travel, snowy all woods. this kind of stuff. But yeah. like, but like, here's my thing with that stuff, too, is like, I, I'm a nerd about this shit. So like, I like that stuff, too. But I don't know if that is the place where you start. Right, Because I think first, maybe like it helps to have something that maybe more, more reflects you or at least like is strange to you in some ways where you lean in. Right. And then you can like appreciate the, some of the really interesting and really like special stuff that will happen in a Robert Frost poem like Out Out or, you know, in, you know, William's word, William Wordsworth, like We Are Seven or whatever. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. I just, I think one of the things I also think that's really interesting is like, for me, I love William Shakespeare. And what I love most is like the text in verse. I love the iambic pentameter. Like I love the, sure. the the rigidity of that. And like also what you can do with a line like now is the winter of our discontent because you can break, you know, I love that stuff. But I do not think of that as poetry, even though I intellectually know that's poetry. And I think some of it for me is like, I don't think of the stuff that I enjoy as poetry. Like right, in because- my mind, I think that poetry is like white men outside doing right. things that I do not understand. Like you said, it's like a mathematical problem. There is one right answer and I do not have it. But when I think about the poetry that I do like and the things that have excited me, Shakespeare included, but also like your work, Clint Smith, Hanif Abdurraqib, Dwayne Betts, like Eve Ewing, I don't, I'm not like, oh, that person's a poet. I'm like, oh, this poem is cool, you know? And it's like this different like energy around it. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly why I have this like aversion to the idea of poetry, even though I have so many examples of poetry that I actually really enjoy. And I still don't understand a lot of it, but like, it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, I don't know. no, for sure. I mean, I think I kind of am into the fact that like the poems you like, you just don't think of as poems. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. In part because for me, like one of the cool things about poems is that they're sneaky, right? Oh, yeah. Like they're subtle, right? And right, so right, right. because they can end up anywhere, right? 
you could have a poem, you know, on your bus card or like you know, right. they have that's like a thing they do in New York, or like you could have a poem plastered on the wall somewhere, or you could have a poem um, you know, included in like some sort of weird commercial to sell you Nikes or whatever. Right. You know, regardless of sort of how we might feel about all those different kinds of placements, the fact that poetry can move in those kinds of ways mm-hmm. is different. And it, and it is different. This is what I mean when I say, like, a novel can't do that. Right. You know, maybe a piece of it, but like not a, not, not a sort of self-contained thing. And that makes it, it makes it slippery in this way, right? So. Right, right, right. Yeah. So that I, I, I like that. I think that that has a real potential. I think that has a real resonance. Yeah. Okay. I touched on this earlier, but I'm so curious about this. And of course, like somehow we're already like running out of time. We're not really, but like we are, and it's making me crazy, but I know that you're back at the end of the month. And so I have, I'm saving some of my more poetry specific questions for later. But so you wrote a literary arts curriculum for Chicago. Yeah. Well, I co-wrote it. Co-wrote. Okay. But you had a hand in that. What Mm -hmm. does that mean? What does that entail? And how do you build such a thing? Absolutely. So, but I mean, like, was, I know that's like a huge, a lot of huge questions. Yeah. So you just do your best to bring it in for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, there, it, it was, it was a sort of crew of us. It was a collaborative effort when we did this. And wow, that's, that might've been, that, that's like almost 10 years ago. I guess. Wow. I'm that's you crazy. are, you're doing curriculum um, 10 years ago. You're super right, old. <laughs> right then. But, um, you know, shout out, shout out Jamila Woods, who was like one of the people who worked on that as well. Mm. Um, but I, I think that. Basically, what it was is like we were doing workshops all over the city and beyond, you know, myself and a number of other folks who kind of were working as teaching artists. And so in in a lot of ways, the curriculum wasn't necessarily like building a new thing. More so what it was 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 saying like, okay, let's take some of the like lesson plans that we do either in classrooms where we have residencies or as a sort of drop in thing or before an open mic or, or what have you. Let's let's try to sort of codify some of those things and build some infrastructure around them so that just like your classroom teacher can take some of these things in there. Right. And the cool thing about that is, especially with that project, is like we were. Yeah, we were using like sort of traditional poems, but we were also using, you know, songs like rap songs, R&B songs, also, you know, all different kinds of music. We were using speeches like um, like we, we had a kind of partnership um with voices of the people's history so we were using like speeches from fred hampton or from union mm. organizers and whatever and it was and it also part of what it what the sort of aim of that curriculum was to try to at least primarily focus or build it around writers who, who had a kind of chicago tie right were from the okay. city or had lived and worked in the city or were writing about the city or whatever with the idea being again that right like that would be a thing that would allow young people from across, you know, that very vast, very diverse city to like have a little bit of a point of identification, whether that's Lee Young Lee or Fred Hampton or Gwendolyn Brooks or Margaret Walker or whomever, right? Like, that, so, so that was kind of the, that was kind of the aim of it. And then, and then it was like, we also had like really good people who did stuff that was more sort of on the like curriculum development side who were, mm-hmm. who were able to like, take the kind of like weird artist educator language that we spoke and push that into like something that was legible to like people concerned with like common core and meeting standards in that way. Got it. 
So it was cool. It was it was like a, it was definitely an interesting project, and I and I was doing that. It was it was like right around when I was in graduate school too. So I okay. was like in a very different way entrenched in this sort of poetic education, and so so that was like a cool moment because it allowed me and forced me to be thinking about okay, yeah, I'm in this like fancy university, but how do I make that knowledge right uh, legible? Not because it's not like it's too hard for any of these young people or for teachers to get. But if I'm having that, but how can I have that discourse just in a way that's approachable for them, right? To right. Point. Right. That's so, in- I just, I'm fascinated by the idea of like this literary arts curriculum. I, I love this. <laughs> um, okay. Before we move on, just really quickly, because here I am, a theater major who loves Shakespeare and plays in general, and you write plays. You've yes. written plays. Allegedly, yes. I not feel like I don't think we've ever actually had a playwright on this show. Mm, that's not true. That's not true. Our Eric Thomas was on and he writes plays, but I didn't ask him about it. So first of all, writing plays is really fucking hard. That I know. I've seen enough to know that there's a lot of horrible plays in the world and they're really hard to do. But how do you approach writing things? I guess generally, like, because how do you know when it's going to be a poem or a prose or a play? Like, how do you approach that sort of stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um. I think a lot of times, like, I sort of move through the different things, right? So I wrote this one play um, that I haven't, I need to, I should probably think about it, but what I want to do with it. But, like, the play kind of happens, like, there are moments of verse in it, right? There are moments where where it's kind of narrated, almost in, like, something approaching or sitting in between, like, what folks might think of as, like, spoken word and, and like, rap, right? So, you know, I think I'm always working across things pretty naturally and sometimes I'll use one form to figure out another right so because I'm really comfortable in poems sometimes I'll write a poem to try and figure out voice for Mm. something that's like longer or different or like if I'm thinking about like a fix something that's like fiction I've done things where I've written little play things or written sort of like almost like scenes just like Mm -hmm. sort of standalone Mm -hmm. scenes or or whatever as a way of like breaking character Right. Right, as a way to, to try and like so for me like they all kind of they're all sort of functioning together i would say like where how something comes into the world a lot of times is like much less a matter of me and much more a matter of like capitalism and like who's trying <laughs> to pay me for it or you know or whatever <laughs> right 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 do you have a favorite like if you could only write in one form forever you could never do something else which one would you pick what would you wow. pick wow that's a tough question um it's a really fucked up question actually so thank you for uh yeah like humoring me <laughs> you know honestly probably what it would be it would it'd be rap songs okay it'd be rap songs because do you one, play like make your own beats and stuff or no um i have i am not very good or dedicated okay. at it okay uh, <laughs> that's fair but like for me like this is one of the things that i love about hip-hop and just about making music in general is at least the ways that I've done it and the ways I'm most interested in it. It's so collaborative. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the thing I also love about the theater. Same. And again, right. Like going back to when I first started writing, like that was that promise or potential of community is the thing that made me feel like I want to do this. Right. 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 Um, and so I think it would be that because like, because it's like fun to me because it's like sort of legible to to people and it, and it feels approachable to people 
and because it, it becomes like a way to sort of hang out with my friends and like build friendships and, and you know build or build on relationships and and that's cool that's if i'm just like making a decision with my heart i guess if i'm making it with my head it would be palms because like you can tell probably, <laughs> yeah you know i just that yeah that'll give me tenure so like yeah I don't know. yeah yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. I prefer the heart answer, but I respect the head answer. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Ask the Stacks on the other side. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, we are back. I have not prepped you for this. So here it is. Someone has written in, they're asking for book recommendations. I'm going to read to you what they said, and then you're going to recommend at least one book. But if you want to do two or three, feel free. Okay. 
Um, I'll go first so that you have a little time to think. But I might steal your answers and I'm not sorry. Uh, This one comes from Joe. And Joe says, I have been really into short stories this year. I have recently read and enjoyed the following. Blood Child and Other Stories by Octavia E. Butler. The Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu. We Live in Water by Jess Walter. Islands of Decolonialized Love by Leanne Simpson. My top three moods, according to my story graph, are reflective, emotional, and challenging. I don't know what those words mean, but okay. I haven't read a collection of short stories in a couple of months, so would love recommendations. Thank you. Okay. Here is what I have for you, Joe. I am not a huge short story person. I've recently gotten into them, so I'm sure these are very basic, but they're the ones that stick out to me. The first is Friday Black by Nana Kwame Ajibrenya. It is sort of sci-fi-y and dark and twisty. And the first story in this collection is one of the best short stories I've ever read called The Finkelstein Five. It's wild. We did it on the podcast. So if you do read it, there's an episode for you and an interview with Nana. Um, The second one is called Lot by Brian Washington. It is so good. There's some like interconnected stories. It's about Houston, like black and brown folks in Houston. Each story is like a different street in Houston. His writing is so good. It's just so good. And then the last one is Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires, which is like the weirdest, coolest black people you've ever met in all of the stories. And there's these like there's these stories about these two moms (laughs) in like school who are battling over their kids and like respectability politics. And it's like, there are these letters back and forth. It is so good. I think it's called like La Belle Lettre or something like that. The beautiful letters. Okay. But those are my three. Nate, do you have one, two or three short story collections that you want to recommend? Yeah. Yeah. I got this. I got this. I love short stories. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. All right. So first one I'll say is um, Her Body and Other Parties by Mm. Carmen Maria Machado. Uh, Really interesting uh, collection. I've taught it maybe twice, which is like rare for me because I just try to cycle books. Um, But I really, I really like that one. Um, It has like a little bit of like, a little bit of like a gothic sensibility, Mm -hmm. a little bit of like, there are some sort of vaguely sci-fi kind of situations going on. Yeah, but really, really great story collection um, that I love a lot. Then I'll say uh, Disha Filia's uh, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Yes. Um, I did not say that because I'm obsessed with that book and I feel like I talk yeah. about it all the time, but it is so good. It's so good. That was probably like my best read of last year, I want to yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that joint. I, yeah, kind of all the stories, particularly like the one with the cobbler. Yeah, Peach Cobbler. Yeah, the Peach Cobbler joint. And then... Um, how to make love to a physicist. That's like the one mm. people are always talking about. My favorite is ja- Yael. Do you remember that one about the girl Yael? J-A-E-L. Yes, 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 yes. That's okay. my favorite. That yeah, was the one fair. that I was like, yo, Disha's crazy. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the last one is The World Doesn't, Doesn't Require You uh, mm. by Rian Amaker Scott. He's a great guy. We like were on a panel a few years back together about Kendrick Lamar or something mm. but like I, I love his I love his sort of sensibility I love and just like that that sense of that set of short stories it's built in this kind of like invented black town in like Maryland and it really has this like 
competing sense of the mundane and the fantastic, right? Mm. So like one of the stories, I think it's maybe like the first one, the kind of one of the central characters is like God's son. Ooh. But like his like fifth or sixth son. And God Not seems Jesus. like no no no, just like some <laughs> dude, like you Got know, it. Jerry, like Mark. Jerry yeah. Price or whatever, right? I don't okay. know. And he's and like yeah, God seems like meh. Seems like just okay. But yeah, so whatever. That, that that story collection like has a real sense of like fun and irreverence, but it's also smart as hell. So okay. yeah, that's three. Those are so good. Um, Joe, if you read any of those, you have to let us know what you think. Everyone else, you can get your book recommendations read on the air by emailing askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. Okay, now we get to talk about Nate's favorite books and least favorite books. We're going to start. I'm excited because we have not really talked about your taste in books very much yet. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to sort of see what you're reading because we've been talking so much about like specifically just like poems. So this is really thrilling for me because usually by this point in the episode, I know all the answers that I'm going to get, but I don't know any of them. Okay. Two books you love, one book you hate. Ooh, book I hate. Wow. That is, that's rough. We're going to get spicy. Okay. Book, books I love, I'll say, um, Dubliners, which is another short story collection by James Joyce. I I think I stole it from a bookstore when I was in high school. (laughs) Okay. And I was like, oh, this is cool. What's the statute of limitations on this crime is what I need to know. (laughs) It's fine. Honestly, I stole so many books in high school, like a tremendous, tremendous number of books. Do you still have a lot of them? I do have like a good number of them. That's good. Yeah. And like, you know, honestly, like high school me had some good instincts because like, it was like that and like, like a bell hooks joint and like, I was like, oh, okay, I was, I was like up to some interesting stuff in my like hoodlum days. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah, so th- that's one. What's another one that I love? Oh, I'll say um, Robert Hayden's uh, American Journal. I don't know that. that. It's, it's a book of poems. It's, it's Robert Hayden, like a uh, really important, really great uh, 20th century black poet. And this book, I'll, I'll just sort of give you this. The book opens with a poem sort of in the voice of uh, of Phyllis Wheatley, okay. I believe. So it's like, I think it's Phyllis Wheatley, like kind of writing to um, this this other, ins- this enslaved Black dude who she like had a correspondence with. Like, and I believe that that is like historically accurate. And then the book ends with this poem called American Journal that's in the voice of an alien who's like come down and like infiltrated and was like living wow. amongst the Americans and being like, oh, this is so weird. And if you think about that, like think about that, those as bookends, right? Because like what is like Wheatley, you know, Wheatley Peters, if not a kind of, you know, someone who's right. been dropped into a space that is not her own and right, kind right, of right. having to appraise and figure out how to survive and being both like repelled and attracted by. It. And then you see that. You know, so you get it in this historical way, and then you get it in this sort of like Afro future way. So like that joint, it goes very hard. Book I hate, <sighs> Heart of Darkness. I don't know. Like, okay. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, <laughs> okay, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've never read it, but I feel like someone else has said it on this show. So yeah, you're good. Yeah, you're I'm all set too. <laughs> um, what are you reading right now? Um, right now, I'm reading South to America. Oh, yeah. Isn't it so good? It's very good. It's very good. Oh my God. What she is doing, she was was the guest on last week. Well, when people are listening last week, but it was today. And 
she is just so brilliant. It's like almost upsetting because I'm like, yeah. how did you, how does she do it? Oh, well, well, yeah, I've been rocking with her forever because like she did years ago, this book about hip hop that. Yeah. Prophets is, of Prophets, Prophets of, of the Hood. Right. Of the Hood. I, I just bought it. I haven't read yeah. it yet, but I just bought it. Yeah. And I, I really love that book. Like I think it's, I mean, it's it's probably a little bit dated now just because like the culture has changed a lot, but mm-hmm. I still think it's one of the smartest things that has been written on, on hip hop music. That's so why I love that book. I love like the the joint she did about the black national anthem. I love mm. the um really love the one she did about um Lorraine Hansberry. Oh yeah. Um, Looking for so, Lorraine. Yeah. yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Me um, too. Yeah, so I'm reading that and what else am I reading? Oh, do you read finished. a lot of books at once or are you like a one book person? I'll do multiple things, but they kind of have to be just really discreet for me. So okay. like that could be genres or just like they're really wildly different or formats. So like at any given time, I'm usually like reading a physical book. I'll have like um, one or two things on my little tablet situation. And sometimes those would be like things that are coming out. So I'm like reading this novel now. Uh, by this wonderful writer named uh, uh, Jamila Minix Gleason. Oh, and then I'm listening. I just finished listening to this book called Read Until You Understand, um, mm-hmm. which is a really beautiful book. I cannot remember the woman's name. I it's okay. It I'll up, find but, it. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. So they'll be able she, to do it there. Yeah, it's it's great. It's sort of it's sort of like reads. It's sort of autobiographical, and then it reads her life and sort of her life and experience through these like texts of black. Um, of black literature right so um, we'll we'll like get something that's thinking about mercy and mm-hmm. then then she'll kind of close read pieces of like tony morrison's a, a mercy and mm-hmm. then phyllis wheatley's twas mercy brought me from my pagan land talking about united soul to understand and like whew, that's that, cool. it just it goes very hard it's very beautiful so yeah i love the description of a book going very hard i feel like that needs to be more in my vernacular. Like I never say that about a book, but I mean that about so many books. Like there's so many books where I'm like, that book went so hard and I just need to, I'm going to steal that from you and be saying it a lot. You heard it here first. Okay. This is like sort of a general question. Are there any genres of books that you don't read or that you avoid? And then are there any genres of books? Like if a new book comes out in this like specific niche sort of genre or, or topic, you're like, I will be reading this. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I I've never gotten much into fantasy. Okay, it's just a kind of gap. Like, you know, as a kid, I read I like read the Harry Potter things, and I read like a few other things, and like some of those things I loved, but like I just never. It was never like a space I wanted to dip into all that much. Mm-hmm. And then uh, something that I, like a thing that I sort of reach for. I don't know if there are. I, I'll say like there was a point. I think when I was in high school, um, when I was in my book stealing phase, okay, um, where, where I was just like, I sort of need to have every book that is about hip hop, right? And at okay. that time, you know, this is probably this is like the early mid two thousands. There weren't that many, so it actually, wasn't that hard to do that. Got it. So yeah, so like that is a is a thing. I, I think I've probably fallen off that a bit. But, so, um, like, basically every book by Jeff Chang. Yeah, Jeff, Ch- Jeff Chang's the homie. Shout out to Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another, out, out in Berkeley, another baby. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, funny enough, I, I want to say his his kid was in one of his sons was in that the program first wave that Rafa worked at because oh. the world was that big. Wow, yeah. small um, world. I love that. But but yeah, so you know, so yeah, so that was kind of my my wave. I'll say now it's probably more like if I see any book that seems to be like a sort of like hip hop influence or, or like potentially hip hop influence poetry book, I am I just like air on the side of getting it because right. it activates me in multiple ways and because i probably like feel like it's at least a part of my thing so like i right. just know who's doing what is that so i ha- okay i haven't read it yet so yeah. i am like totally not prepared till for next week's conversation but is that doppelgang banger is that hip-hop inspired poetry is that what you would call that I mean, in some ways in certain ways right um the, the thing I, I i love about that book too and you know i don't want to because we're not going to Talk all Just give a little it, teaser, I, a little teaser about what you love. Right. Um, well, I think that book deals really intelligently with the sort of various ways in which Blackness manifests in some of these, like, and the some of the kind of cultural disconnections, right? So, so the, the writer, uh, Courtney Lamar Charleston, like, came up um, in the suburbs of Chicago, right? And so I think that there's this way in which he's wrestling with, like, Black class, Mm. in a way that I really love and and that I often think gets missed because in part because we we so often think of black people as as only the underclass or or whatever and so we don't right. have much imagination for like the black people that exist in suburban spaces black people that are sort of upwardly mobile or the black people yeah. who are the children of those folks whatever right and and I and I always am just I'm, I'm just like fascinated in some with some of the ways that that gets wrestled with and that gets rendered. Mm. I'm so excited. Okay. What's a book that you love to recommend to people? Uh, anything by Lucille Clifton. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I usually will start with like Blessing the Boats because it's it's kind of the biggest selected and it has probably like the biggest swath of her work. Um, there's also a newer one called How to Carry Water. But um, yeah, I just, I, I think she's like great poet, like really interesting, important, like, you know, um, 20th century black poet. Um, so that's one that I'm all, I'm often like putting in people's hands, especially if they're, if they're like, I find poetry unapproachable. I don't like poetry. I don't think I like poetry. Like that's a great place to start. And then you'll be like, Oh, turns out poetry's cool. Poetry's cool. You listen to audiobooks. Do you have a favorite audiobook? <sighs> On beauty by Zadie Smith. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Does she read it? No, she doesn't. The reader is kind of great. And the thing that I love about that book is like, <laughs> oh man, I don't want to get in trouble. I'm gonna be, let me be judicious in my okay. language. Oh, gosh. Um, so, so it's like, I, it's a, a male narrator. I don't remember his name, but he, um, that book has a lot of different accents at play mm. because it, it sort of takes place in this kind of, fictionalized college town just outside of Boston, a la like Cambridge or okay. any of these, you know, whatever. Right, right, right. And um, and so you get, the, you know, the accent of the, the father character who's like a professor and is like this white British dude. And then the mother who's this black woman with Southern roots. And then one of the sons is like very into hip hop. And so and he's Got kind it. of trying to like, and, you know, he has this sort of like mixed kid, whatever situation. And so he's trying to like, aspect of it like you know his right, right, vision right. of like a a hood accent or whatever and then 
there's Haitian characters and there's other Caribbean characters. There's a, there's a multitude of British characters and a multitude of like various kinds of American characters. And that dude is just like, he has a real facility with trying to capture all those different mm. registers in a, in a way that I just find I, I enjoy listening to. And I think it actually, in certain ways, I think it works better as an audiobook than as a, as, like I, I read that book in college. And I think it maybe works better in audio than it does like on the page at, at moments. That's why I was like, let me be careful because oh, you know, I'm not I trying to like that. start right, a beef right, right. with Zadie Smith, but you know. There are definitely books that are better for me audio than on the page. Okay, this is sort of our little lightning round. What's the last book that made you laugh? Maybe The Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the last book that made you cry? Ooh, uh, Read Until You Understand. Yeah. Okay. The last book that made you angry? 4,000 Weeks. Yeah, 4,000 Weeks, which is okay. like, yeah. It's a random nonfiction book I read. Okay. What's the last book that you felt like you learned a lot? Man, South to America, which I'm not done with, but yeah, that's one. Oh, so good. I just, it's, it's my book of the year. I just think it's so good. Um, are there any books that you feel proud about having read? I'll give you two that are sort of weird. And I mostly feel proud, I think, because I read them very young. And okay. this is a thing I derived pride from when I was young. Um, one, this is a book that I stole, uh, The Godfather. So I read okay. The Godfather okay. years before I ever saw the films. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry to... Whitney Young High School Library. Okay. But uh, whatever, it's fine. Y'all get over it. And then um, Roots, which I like mm. asked for, Alex Haley's Roots, I asked for it for Christmas when I was in like sixth grade. And then I read it and I did like the accelerated reader quiz at school for it. Wow. And yeah, I, so so those, those are like two. Did you read it before you saw the movie or series? I still haven't seen all of it. I've watched like maybe the, the first episode or two of Roots. But I'm also like, there's, you know, there's some stuff where I'm like, I don't necessarily need to see that. Yeah. Well, I saw it so yeah. young. I did. It was like actually an introduction of, to slavery for me. Like now right. I don't know that I would need to watch it again. Like I sort of feel like I would get right. the picture. But I saw it like as a child, like when you were reading it and stealing yeah. it and stuff, I or when you asked for it as you're, a gift, I had like seen it multiple yes. times somehow. Um, do you have any I problematic favorite books? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't, do I have to say this? Yes, you have to say at least one. Okay, here's one. And this is like, you know, I hope I can get a pass. And, and you know, whatever. It's it's a generational thing. Harry Potter. And like, oh, yeah. you know, I, I still, and I'll say this, like, I still probably listen to those audio books, like, maybe once a year. Like Really? Whole, All whole, of them? Oh my God. I've never one, even read a single sentence of those books. One, the narration of the audiobooks is really great. Good. This is dude Jim Dale. Like so good. But yeah, they just like remind me of my childhood. Like I I feel deeply nostalgic. They they were like a thing that me and my sort of elementary school best friend like shared with each other. And so mm. they take me back to a very loving place. But 
all girl trash. She can trip them. So, um, yeah, she's horrible. I've never read the books and now I never will because she became a, yeah. we found out she was horrible before I ever read them. Yeah, so now I'm like, I don't you're have fine. a relationship. I don't fucking care. Oh, is there any book that you think people would be surprised to know that you love? Oh, this isn't a book necessarily. Well, hmm. Would people be surprised to know that? I don't know what would surprise people. Um, who are people? Wow, so I don't know. Is, I mean, you're asking a lot of, you're taking this really deep. Yeah. Okay. Very poet this, brain of you. Right. That's the poet <laughs> thing. Um, I think people are surprised when they find I have like a deep affection for Robert Frost. Okay. There's also, this is, this is a random one. There's this group of poets from like the early 20th century, like 1920s, 1930s called um, the Fugitive Poets or the Southern Agrarians. And I quite like a lot of their poetry. The, the reason why people would be surprised is one, that's a little obscure. Two, they were fantastically racist. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like, of, yeah. You know, white dudes in Tennessee. But yeah. Um, I have yeah, a question so, for you that's unrelated to your book taste, but I <laughs> this is a really important question that I am so glad I have a poet. E.E. E. Cummings. I know that's a yeah. poet. What yeah. was that person like? Like, when did that person write? The reason I'm asking is because when my father passed away, I was too emotional to speak at his funeral, but I really wanted to do something. And so I read an E.E. E. Cummings poem that I loved and I still love, but I know nothing about E.E. E. Cummings at all. Is that a man? Is that a woman? Is that yes. a young person? Is that a white person? Yes. Is that a person from 1800? Is that a person from 2015? Like, wow. help me. I love this. I love this. I, <laughs> yeah. So E.E. Cummings was like kind of early, like first half of the 20th century poet. Okay. Um, a white guy, as okay. many of the first. That was my guess, but I just wasn't was. sure. I thought maybe there was a chance it was like a Chinese woman or yeah. something, and I could be happy. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, yeah, I I like E.E. Cummings. There's like he has a few bangers. Um, I actually, funny enough, there's an E.E. Cummings poem. I think it's called like I carry your heart in my heart or something like that mm -hmm. that I read at E. Ewing's wedding. Wow. Yeah. So I that I have a okay. very so which, E. Which, Cummings is like down with the peeps. Like E. Cummings isn't. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, okay. the, people, the, the people are are rocking with E. Cummings, relatively speaking, especially like in comparison to like some of his contemporaries are like you know fine poets and legitimately sort of awful people. And okay. That's what I mean. He doesn't, at least to my knowledge, have those same kinds of stains as, say, like Ezra Pound, who like okay. was a fascist and like writing stuff, like writing propaganda for the Italian government during World War II. You know okay. what I mean? Like, so, like, yeah, know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He, he was like cool the, given the time. Yeah, you know. Okay. Okay, good. Oh, I feel so good about myself. Yay. Okay. This, literally read this poem 10 years ago. Love Think it. about it all the time. Don't remember anything except for like the first line. But I always I'm like too scared to look it up. So I'm glad I had you to hold my hand through that moment. No, uh, <laughs> do you have any favorite books about where you're from? So Chicago, South Side of Chicago? Do I? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, us. first off, there was a while where I was like keeping, I was sort of keeping track of like books that referenced not just Chicago or the South Side, but specifically referenced like the far South Side, like the hundreds where I'm from. Okay. There's like four. Um, one is Barack Obama's first memoir, Dreams from My Father. Okay. Um, and actually, I, I really like that book. Um, really good book. There's also, there's like another weird poet, Chicago poet connection in that because there's this 
when he's in Hawaii, there's this old dude, this old black man named Frank, who like hung out with his granddad and was like a drinking buddy of his grandfather, who who kind of like is basically his sort of like is like the only sort of seem to be the only older black man with whom he like ever has in-depth conversations as a young person. And Frank is this dude named Frank Marshall Davis, who is like a really important poet who was black poet who was writing in Chicago in like the 30s and 40s, but was like a socialist and so ended up going to Hawaii because like, you know, wow. government repression or whatever. So, you know, that's random. Um, so yeah, I'll say that. So one. Obama is a socialist is what you're saying. Look, you know what I'm saying? There, <laughs> wow, we cracked it right here. There it is. Look, I Obama is unfortunately not a socialist. And so unfortunately not yeah. a socialist. Such is life. Um, <laughs> so that's that I guess his book will be one. Um, there's this book by a guy named Alex Kotlowitz called Never a City So Real, a walk in Chicago that I really love. I'm trying to think. I mean, Sandra Cisneros, uh, House of Mango Street would be oh. one. My homie Jose Olivares, Citizen Illegal, would be one. Um, yeah, there's more, but yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll go there. I have just one more question for you. Oh, and sorry, Gwendolyn Brooks. Gwendolyn Brooks, oh. like uh, a stream bronze one. Oh, okay. Okay, here's my last one for you. I stole this from the New York Times by the book. If you could require the president to read one book, what would it be? Oh, yes. I've seen this one. Um, <laughs> wow. Oh, man. I have so little interest in presidents or faith in them that it's hard to say. I mean, I guess maybe my joint. Like, yeah. as, Which a, one? as a matter of pure self-interest, I'd either, you know, take your pick. Dealer's um, choice. Th- <laughs> like, this is, this, is my, this is my thing about it. I, I, I really like that question. I think that there are some presidents who are leaders and some who are not, but I don't know that there are presidents that are like readers and then using that, like using the wisdom from that reading to like mm. really intelligently and, and compassionately craft, craft legislation or craft right. policy. And so because of that, I think assigning presidents reading is mostly a fool's errand. Sure. But yes, yeah, so they can read my joint and maybe they'll put it on a list and then like... Okay. Great. You know, right. I think that's like, Well, it's <laughs> funny that you say, it's funny that you say like it's a fool's errand because I started the show during the Trump administration and the answers that I was getting were just like so crazy and like wild because it's like such an absurd question when sure. it comes to Trump. And now like there's a different level of thought thought that goes into it now that it's Biden. And so the thing that I like for the question is sort of like how it's evolved over the last four years of this podcast. Um, like I, people were like recommending Trump read like children's books, like Ferdinand the <laughs> Bull and shit. Like, just, like really yeah. like at like the shit that I read to my two year olds. Trump got to read hop on pop. Yeah. It was right. like Trump got to read his ABCs or just like, I don't know that he can read. And so, you know, the question is like sort of an interesting question. And I was so excited when we got a new president for this question, among other reasons. Yeah. But this was like one of the reasons. And the answers <laughs> have actually been less thrilling than I thought, because I also realized, like, like you said, like no one really like cares about presidents. <laughs> like, yeah, it's man, like such a hypothetical. <laughs> like, honestly, like they're mostly, I don't know, whatever. Let yeah. me not get yeah. in trouble. 
Yeah, no. We all know how we all feel about presidents. Okay, this is it for us today. Please go get Nate's books because and send them to Joe. Send Joe a copy. My gosh. Get it get it in Joe's hands. You have two poetry collections and you're an editor on the Breakbeat Poets collection. Yes. Um, I'll link to everything in the show notes. The most recent one is Finna by Nate Marshall. The one before that is The Wild Hundreds. And then, as I mentioned, Breakbeat Poets. We're going to be back April 27th to talk about Um, Doppelgang Banger by Courtney Lamar Charleston. Nate, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, everyone, that does it for us today. Thank you so much to Nate Marshall for being our guest. Nate will be back Wednesday, April 27th for the Stacks Book Club Conversation of Doppelgang Banger by Courtney Lamar Charleston. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks and join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave a rating and a review. For more from the Stacks, follow us on social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram, at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter, and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our editor is Christian Duenas, our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.